0: Asha Kedi, Corporate Vice President and 5G executive sponsor at Intel. And I believe 5G can enable a fully connected mobile intelligent society.
1: This is Sean Kinney and welcome to Will 5G Change the World? The usually weekly podcast where we engage with a wide variety of industry experts to answer that important question. But first, in an attempt to get to know our guests a little bit better, we like to pose three questions from the Proust questionnaire. Asha, are you ready for those?
0: Yes, I
1: am. All right. Question number one, when and where were you happiest?
0: I think um, I'm happiest when I lose track of time. Whether it's like playing with the dog, or painting, or even uh, paying it forward—for example, anytime I find that when you're in the act of helping people, um, it's actually almost selfish that you're happy yourself. Whether it's like paying it forward through DNI or helping uh, those without voices, like animals.
1: And the second question, Asha: What is your motto?
0: My motto is. Um, to be a little bit better today than I was yesterday and to leave the earth in a better place than I found it.
1: And finally, which living person do you most admire?
0: I think too many, Uh, but I gravitate to unsung heroes and people we don't necessarily know. And in general, I admire the pursuit of excellence our generosity. For example, one of my favorite current ones is Laka Sharpa. She has climbed Mount Everest nine times, and most people don't know of her. She used to be, um, you know, working in the kitchen, I think, uh, washing dishes at uh, Whole Foods before she trained for the 10th time before COVID hit. And, you know, she does it because of the joy of it. So unsung heroes like Laka
1: Sharpa. So Asha, you've been with Intel for a little more than two decades. In your current role, you look after research, uh, development of new technologies, product innovation, just a, among a few other things that are all foundational to advanced wireless and connected computing. So I definitely want to get into this discussion around standardization and turning that into new products and technologies. But I, I wanted to start with just... a. Uh, discussion around innovation here you know if you kind of look back at the positions you've held within intel everything that you've learned in those roles maybe you could define just give us your take on what innovation is and then tell us about how in a public company with more than a hundred thousand employees do you undertake programmatic innovation
0: so to me um innovation is about um doing things better, whether it's more efficient or creative or other ways and solving problems. These problems, you might not even know you had these problems and just increasing um, the ease of use or you know accessibility and, and through that, you can um, do a lot of things well. For example, I think PCs were one of the greatest innovations of my lifetime because with a PC, you could have the computing power in your hands that were just good enough, right? And you could do a lot of things, especially with mobility. And now we have phones and watches and all of it, right? That make our life easier. Innovation is critical. And you raise a good point around how with a company with 100,000 employees do programmatically innovate? I think it has to be in the foundation of the company. All of Intel's founders, Andy Grove, Gordon Moore, Robert Noyce were seen as um, fundamental innovators, right? Um, they had different flares to it. Andy was only the paranoid survive. Gordon Moore encouraged us to not look at failures as something to be avoided. And Robert and I said, go off and do something wonderful. And that reverberates through the technology and the work that Intel does. Our CEO Bob Swan is also passionate about it. And we have a culture driven um, focus around fearlessness as one of the core company values. We're measured by it every year and we're measured by it in what we do. And so this whole culture change, we have to continue to make it a focus. We have to measure on it. And we actually have to act on it by allowing people to take risks and fail and fail fast. So it has to be, foundational it has to be tracked it has to be acted on at every level in the organization so we basically institutionalized it in some ways you
1: know I mentioned um this discussion that I want to have around standards and it strikes me in this prowse section you talked about getting better every day in this pursuit of excellence and I guess to some degree that is what the standardization process is is just getting better getting more refined more sophisticated but um You know, our audience, they definitely have a high level understanding of how consortia like 3GPP operate and uh, determine their releases, the collaboration, all of that. So maybe you can talk to us a little bit today on Intel's specific role in that process and how you balance the need for consensus building and collaboration with companies that might be your competitors, might be your ecosystem partners, and then balance that with Intel's own strategic and business priorities.
0: Uh, Thank you. That's a really uh, good question. And I think I'd start off by saying that um, it's complex, right? Because it's not just about technology. You have different companies, you have different people, you have different geographies, different cultures. And so what makes it very complex is actually what makes it very enjoyable also, because you're kind of creating something bigger than all of ourselves. And in many ways, we have to do it when international governments meet. For example in other venues or even like when people come together. So I'll answer the last thing first is first you have to create the pie and then you can figure out what piece of the pie you own because without the pie there is nothing to divide, right? So the way I so we all understand that we have we it is an arnate benefit and everybody's benefit to actually come together and agree on a few um, uh, things where we can be interoperable and we can help transform businesses. So as this audience knows, you have many stakeholders. What helps Intel in this is Intel is, um, we have a lot of systems engineer simulation environments, and we are in over 300 standards groups. And so we kind of have the DNA to participate in standards team. We also have products that we bring to the table to serve these standards, right? And so when we propose things, we actually have a business uh, reason to do so. And when we work towards our partners and customers, we want them to be able to serve their clients better. And so we basically take more business-driven or value-driven prioritization that is also very helpful. And these things then help with um, innovation, trust and perseverance because Um, Many operators have many problems and they may be different in different parts of the world. So uh, we try to bring all of these together and because of the trust in Intel, we've been able to have positions like the RAN2 or the the radio access network or the system access network uh, working group two chairs or the radio access network working group three or the radio access network working group four vice chair. And these have also helped us look for the greater and common good. And, um, and also, we're not afraid of the details. With so much systems engineering simulations and all, we have co- done major uh, detailed contributions where there's a lot of hard work, whether it's the introduction of 5G and the LTE 5G new radio interworking, or even things like the release 16 features, URLCC over 5G, positioning support, edge computing support, um, self-organization networks and media services. So in general, we bring our products and expertise to the table.
1: Let's talk a little bit more about those releases. Um, You know, release 15 came in ahead of schedule. This is largely focused on enhanced mobile broadband for consumer applications. Now we're on release 16. We're getting into the stuff that's a lot more interesting to me, the stuff that really speaks to enterprise and industrial enablement you mentioned uh, ultra reliable, low latency communications, time-sensitive networking, uh, more advanced positioning, those sorts of features. So um, maybe you could give us a snapshot of where we are today on that curve between the standardization and then the commercialization of standard compliant products. And then the uh, you know creation of value that would follow from that as it relates specifically to uh, release 16.
0: John, you're so um, spot on. Um, because I think like even when we did LTE release eight, I don't know if people remember it compared to like LTE advanced, right? And so uh, release 15 was very much around backwards compatibility with LTE, right? And getting the phone situated and we can move on. Release 16 fundamentally, um, I'll answer your question by going through three areas. The key features, the business value and what Intel is doing about it. So if I look at the key features, fundamentally I view release 16 as a focus on enterprises. Even though URLCC or low latency started with uh, release 15, the explicit support for time sensitive networks was done in release 16. This is foundational, not just to industries and manufacturing and um, industry 4.0, but even areas like if you want to coordinate uh, robots outside Right, so there are many areas where you need it, and it's not just about time. It has a lot of um, other support that is built in. The other area is to support different spectrum models. We have unlicensed models, but also locally licensed or private license, depending on where you are in the world. Essentially, now companies like um, Siemens or Bosch or others can have their own private networks. That's a fundamental. Uh, improvement in how we have uh, looked at this. Um, A third one is positioning support. It's only at three meters now, but indoor positioning support of three meters is still something, uh, we'll continue to work on it and release 17, but having that for the first time is pretty big. And then there are things like uh, um, support for private networks or how private networks are done, the identities, the efficiencies and all of it. Um, There are other uh, areas like how we can provision on edge support, making it easier to get compute in, um, self-organizing networks, and all. Now, if I take a step back, why did we focus so much on enterprises or industrial? KPMG estimates $4.3 trillion by 2030 with an 8% growth rate. I mean, that's like a pretty big GDP of a country, right? And so if you uh, look at manufacturing, there are estimates like from McKinsey for up to $650 billion of GDP impact. You take these and you look at accelerants like edge compute or AI or even COVID, right? With COVID, even automation um, in factories and getting it towards autonomous has become much more important. And you look at all of this and those are the customer pain points we're trying to solve. We focus on latency, but we keep forgetting the reliability, which is 99.9999% and we also forget the capacity. And so what, In essence, we have gotten to the point where I can start cutting some of the older Ethernet cards. I don't have to drill and I can get that flexibility, which then starts to change the game. Um, In Intel, we are tracking with the standards and we have a huge emphasis on network transformation. So we have done work with for example SK Telecom with looking at um, the early release 16 how do you separate the user standalone user plane function and we found that we could help them improve um, jitter by 88 percent and latency we could um, reduce by 78 percent. We also did work with Verizon to help virtualize that network with the flexibility or more software defined what we call FlexRAN, which is a reference architecture that is based on Xeon platforms with software on it. And on time synchronization, we have done um, a lot of work with Bosch, for example, on how do you get time synchronized, um, you know, simple things going while you have uh, loaded networks in the background, including media and all. So we've been basically doing both exploratory work and also mainstream work that actually help improve the OPEX and the CAPEX of operators with these.
1: So that's that's release 16. I wanted to maybe look ahead at release 17. We're uh, recording first week in November here and uh, people will hear this in uh, probably two, three weeks. So there's this question mark around release 17 with COVID 3GPP had to move to virtual meetings as opposed to these in-person meetings. And that slowed things down. And I, you know, I just kind of curious to get your take, whether this is explicitly good, bad, or, or is that even kind of a binary question? And I, you know, maybe to use an example to illustrate this, one of the features here that you'd expect with release 17 is these kind of finely tuned, data consumption profiles that would inform the creation of a slice for manufacturing, for a vehicular application. But at the same time, delivering that slice contemplates this end-to-end virtualized network that really doesn't exist at scale in in commercial uh, deployment today or in private networks, really. So I'm just kind of Hoping you can help me find a, a silver lining here, Asha, if there is a delay in release 17 and it comes in, you know, behind what the uh, schedule was, is that necessarily bad or is there a, a, a chance that that could allow sort of the investment in the networks to catch up with the standardized technology and maybe once it's all said and done, accelerate that, that time to value?
0: We have had many releases that are on time also and not necessarily all the features of a release that's on time is used, right? And if I look at this, and you specifically asked for the uh, release 17 delay, I view it neither good or bad. I view it as more nuanced. It is what it is. What it has done though, is it has given us an opportunity to look for many companies to look at how they do business. And once you start having that inflection of companies looking at how they do business, industries looking at how they do business and enterprises, you don't go back, right? Even something simple like, I don't want all my future doctor's visits to only being person, right? I'm going to assume there's a hybrid model. So it has forced behavior changes in a way we hadn't anticipated, right? There's like, um, you can go look at your favorite metrics around how much more viewing time, classrooms, you know, automation and all. And if you talk to most companies, what you'll see um, is that most companies with, with, with the physical separation and not being able to go to work had to take real focus on how do they keep employees safe? How do you debug something on the manufacturing floor or the industrial floor and all more remotely? So the silver lining I would say is we have a better understanding of the problems and the pain points because now uh, they're asking for it. Do you remember V2X, right, that whole thing? I don't know how well we worked with the vehicle manufacturers back then, right? It became a bit like, is it 3GPP engineers designing car systems or vice versa? Whereas I think here, what the silver lining would be is I think we're working closely, much closely with the enterprises because they are actually having to go through this. And so when you look at the requirements, whether it's things like positioning or whether it's things like, um, like to lower centimeters or what are the prioritized use cases, so, um, and all, we are much better um, informed. So as I look at release 17, I think release 17 continues to focus on enterprises with information coming in. And this delay allows us to actually uh, develop integrated solutions, integrated with compute, integrated with their solutions, unlike what we did in a hurry with V2X and all, right? So that's the way I look at it. And I think integrating computing data capabilities, the pain points will provide better communication services, we'll have um, more accurate positioning. Um, We will basically look at improving the KPIs um, much more Ease of use and the T cost are the total cost of ownership keeps coming up again and again. So, an emphasis on the T cost of it and um, essentially focusing on the requirements and the pain points they have discovered through the pandemic adjustments means we will solve real problems versus, you know, um, versus being in a, very enthusiastic about technology. So, we can use it as an opportunity to sol- use technology to solve pain points that exist versus, you know, technology for technology's sake.
1: You gave me a lot to think about there. So maybe you can help me contextualize all of that in in an effort to answer this question, if 5G can change the world. So I'm kind of, you know, I'm thinking about GDP. You mentioned the KPMG projections, the work that McKinsey is doing. And then we've talked about how standardization translated into commercial products and how you tie that to business outcomes. But you know, you, you talked there at the end about solving for real problems versus technology for technology's sake and how during COVID, all of these different businesses have had opportunities to really take a pause and look at what's important going forward, what technology can maybe do for their, their business models. When we try to answer, will 5G change the world? Will technology change the world? How do we know? Is it just GDP or can we look at individual communities and, and when we see enough incremental change, is that sufficient? when do we when are we able to answer the question?
0: Um, I think, Sean, necessity is the mother of invention. <laughs> right? And um, what and our ability to pivot is really important. You have seen how, like four G, the people who took a lot of advantage were not necessarily the people who designed the systems, right? And so I think that trend will continue. Is we will be driven by necessity and the, our ability to pivot. Um, and it's a really fundamental question. Um, We talked about release seventeen, and the idea that I forgot to mention is it's also going beyond enterprises to other things like uh, smart farming or smart cities, right? To try to broaden it, and we'll see where the early wins. Um, CBRS spectrum auction happened recently, right? Which is one of the early ones. And what was interesting to me, uh, the most fascinating um, auction was what happened at Loving Texas, population 82. I can't tire of, I, I'm so passionate when I talk about it. They had like, you um, um, They got like more than $141 per megahertz per pop versus 21 cents, you know, which was average in the nation. And that was because, and six out of the seven licenses were by two oil companies. And this was because, you know, there's a massive shale formation with 250,000 oil producing well, 500, you know, working rigs and a lot of transient 100,000 workers that work there. And that might not have happened a few years ago. So there's a problem that they see that they need to solve over there. That's one example. So how do we look at using these early adopters or inflections and work with them is um, I think critical as we tie all of these together. The other thing across the world that is happening is um, locally licensed spectrum or private networks and all of these kind of notions. So as we look at um, expanding there and um, what are some of the things where they don't have to drill wires? How can we increase flexibility? How can we look at um, those AGVs, getting more information on them, getting that um, person who's in person to um, look at um, extra information through their ARVR classes. Those AGV robots, we'll have to figure out what's the compute mix So that they can be independent and not run into things or other robots on the floor, but also how can they stay synchronized to the rest of it. It's a complex problem, but it's also a problem that could mean that the factories look very different. We talk about things like digital twin and all right. So where I'm going with this is we would be having to look at the early adopters, we would be able to have to pivot and we would actually then have to actually solve real problems and so where I'm optimistic in this is if you don't do things through a standardized way, you can't scale, correct? And so what I think we bring to the mix through the standards proce- procedures is the ability to scale and the ability to not solve the same problem 10 different you know times for 10 different ways. And the ability to scale I think is crucial for this to go mainstream. So those are some of my thoughts. And, um, and then we continue to have um, more and more spectrum. We'll make use of it, right? You give me more computing power, I make use of it. You give me more spectrum, we'll make use of it.
1: So it sounds like we've got all of these different confluences of, uh, you know, liberalization of access to spectrum, 5G, the continued refinement on the standardization size. But really, the commonality, whether you're the consortia working on standardization, a technology company like Intel, or the end user, regardless of what vertical you're in, you really have to have a mindset of innovation. Just like you said, it has to be the foundation, and you have to be able to, to pivot to take advantage of the circumstance you're in.
0: Yes. And I want to be really Conscious about the digital divide to not to actually help heal it. There's a lot of money that many governments have put um, as a part back to the silver lining, even we spoke easier earlier to put into like um, rural, $9 billion going to rural America, right? Um, maybe inner cities and education and underserved populations. So I think we need a conscious effort to look at ensuring. Everybody is lifted through this, whether it's rural or whether it's people who don't have access. And those also, um, and once you have more people and you help democratize some of the ways that spectrum can be done to many constituents, you also have more people that will find out more ways to use all of this. So I um, 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 I think when we look at 5G beyond just bandwidth or latency, Um, and we start looking at things like capacity, right? Start adding things like satellite support. Um, We make it cheap enough where we can bring more people on board and the more accessible or the more democratized accesses to various constituents will have a place for many different players. What the comm service providers need to do, what private enterprises need to do, what schools might need to do and all of it.
1: Well, Asha, I think um, that was, better than any summary statement that I could make so we can just leave it there and and I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, talk to us about Intel's role in the standardization process and answering the question will 5G change the world thank
0: you and thank you again for having me here
1: will 5G change the world is an Arden Media production for advertising inquiries contact Danny Miller at dmiller at ardenmedia.com The show today was produced and edited by me, Sean King. Thanks for listening.